Welcome to Interpod, the global voices of pride podcast powered by Interpride, where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. This year, San Francisco Pride hosted its inaugural Human Rights Summit, in which they addressed the rise and increase in anti-LGBTQIA bills either being proposed or passed across the country. One of the conversations touched on the anti-drag efforts. In this episode, we will play the interview done by Spring Collins, who's a board member of San Francisco Pride, along with drag kings Cotton the Act and Todd Hottie of the House of Hottie. Before we get to the conversation... Here's Michael Lavers of Washington Blade with Global LGBTQIA News. This is Michael Lavers, the international news editor for the Washington Blade, America's LGBTQI news source. August 15th marks two years since the Taliban regained control of Afghanistan. Victor Madrigal Burlos, the independent UN expert on LGBTQI issues, and other UN human rights experts note the Taliban continue to target, quote, women and girls, ethnic, religious, and other minorities, people with disabilities, displaced persons, LGBTQ plus persons, human rights defenders, and other civil society actors, journalists, artists, educators, and former government and security officials, end quote. The World Bank Group on August 8th announced it has suspended new loans to Uganda in response to the country's Anti-Homosexuality Act. Elsewhere in Africa, advocacy groups in Ethiopia have said homophobic government rhetoric has spurred an increase in online attacks against LGBTQI people. Consensual same-sex sexual relations remain criminalized in Mauritius, but the country nevertheless hosted the Pan-Africa ILGA conference in August that upwards of 400 activists from across the continent attended. Far-right nationalists in Georgia on July 8th violently disrupted a pride festival in Tbilisi, the country's capital. Spain's far-right Vox party that vehemently opposes transgender rights fell short in the country's elections that took place on July 23rd. Police in the Venezuelan city of Valencia on the same day arrested 33 men during a raid on a gay sauna. The men have been charged with committing indecent acts in a public place, gathering with the intent to commit a crime, and violating local noise ordinances. Brazilian police on July 24th arrested a former firefighter in connection with the 2018 murder of Rio de Janeiro Municipal Councilwoman Mariele Franco and her driver, Anderson Gomes. Authorities in 2019 arrested two former police officers in connection with the assassinations. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak on July 19th apologized to LGBTQ service members who endured mistreatment while in the country's armed forces. Sunak made the apology in the British House of Commons against the backdrop of increased transphobia in the country. This is Michael Labors from The Washington Blade. Log on to WashingtonBlade.com to learn more about LGBTQI issues around the world. So hi, I'm Todd Hottie. Um, some people refer to me as Dr. Todd, Dr. Oh. Todd Hottie. I am a doctor of nursing in my uh, other life. <laughs> and uh, I go by right now as Todd, I'm he, they. I'm, I identify as genderqueer. So outside of drag, I identify as she, they. Um, 
I think as uh, my default name is Sarah, so as Sarah, I am okay with identifying on the genderqueer umbrella. You can call me she, he, they. I take all pronouns. But as Todd, I really only take he, they. I don't really take the she pronoun. It offends Todd. Um, and I've, I've learned that about myself and my identity. <laughs> so, so that's Todd and Sarah for you. Hi, I am Cotton. Cotton the act. Um, I am <laughs> oh. from Reno, Nevada. I'm an artist and musician. Um, glad to be here, new in the city. Um, pronouns in drag. I have a lot of the same viewpoints as my brother Todd here. He, they in drag. Outside of drag, they, she. I'm very gender fluid, gender queer. So honestly, as long as I'm being treated with respect, I will take any pronoun. Um, and yeah, I'm just glad to be here, of part of the House of Hottie. Some and of the organizations and uh, work that we're doing right now, I um, am building the Gender Institute. Uh, this is f through Dignity Health St. Francis Memorial Hospital. Um, so the Gender Institute is uh, physically being built as we speak, open, scheduled to open next spring. I'm really excited, looking forward to that. Um, and that's how I became the first uh, nurse designated in the world as a gender affirmation specialist by certification. Um, there's two of us on this planet. I have two more asking, knocking, saying, can we get more? I'm okay with being the first. I'm not okay with being the only. There needs to be more of us. So um, that's that. And then also the Imperial Council. I think it's just one of the most important organizations in uh, San Francisco when it comes to philanthropy and the protections of LGBTQ individuals. Um, we raise a lot of funds. We're the oldest philanthropic organization um, in the world for LGBTQ uh, focus. And we protect the Polk District, Tenderloin, Soma, and the Castro, of course. Thank you both. And if you didn't hear, my name is Spring Collins, pronouns she, they for the politics, and also Madam Secretary. I also take daddy. Uh, okay. Take I take mother or mommy <laughs> under the right circumstance. Um, yeah, Todd, what do you find most inspiring about doing drag? Drag, well, Todd, my belief is that you have to love the many versions of yourself so you can love others. And I think drag is just a form of artistic expression uh, that is very conducive and healing for me. Um, it helps me cope with my day to day. I love to uh, showcase art and my ability to showcase myself as a, in my inner beings, in my creativity. And drag uh, allows that beautiful intersection of being able to self-express while going inside myself and seeing what message I want to send to the world, who, what version of Todd is going to be out on stage today, um, and making sure that everything is in tune with each other. It's really important to understand your personal mission so that way everything you do aligns with that mission, especially when you're faced with an incongruence or a fork in the road. You know, as long as you listen to your internal mission, it's always gonna guide you in the right way. It's a great compass. Um, and so Todd's internal mission is really to inspire others through artistic expression and provide that safe space for inclusion and expression. Um, so anything that Todd is doing is really about pushing that and aligning with that mission. And that's what drag means to me. Thank you. Same question, Cotton. Um, to me, it's the all and sundry of it. 
all is everybody's coming with their own individual artistic expression for a greater good. I mean, all the benefits, um, all the money that you can raise for other organizations, the way it brings a community together in a unique and joyful way. I mean, everybody likes to dance, everybody likes music, and it's a way to just bring a certain community that has been ignored or um, just pushed aside or kind of seen as the underdogs to really rise up and we're all in it together and to see people come together for art and for activism and to just be accepted is a beautiful thing. There's not many platforms that give you that opportunity, so. Thank you. Yeah, as a trans person myself, I feel like, you know, my body and is political and like going into the world as an act of resistance. Where do you see the politics through line for drag? I think drag um, is given a lot of momentum to where we are now uh, as it, it pertains to human rights. Um, I know the political climate right now is very uh, sad and tumultuous and with over 500 plus anti-LGBTQ uh, bills uh, targeted against us, 80 of which have already passed in the past six months. Like, it's just not okay. Um, but if you think about where we started with this, when it was illegal to congregate as a homosexual individual in public, and the reason why pride came to be after the Stonewall riots in the form of a protest, the six days after 1969, after Stonewall, you know, let's back it up to the 50s in uh, LA Donuts in LA, or Compton's Cafeteria riots okay. 10 years later in San Francisco. You know, these were targets against the drag community. It was drag queens that were getting arrested. These bars were getting raided, and the drag performers were getting arrested with homosexual individuals and intersex and non-binary. Um, but it was the drag community that really were the targets here and really st causing momentum. Hey, we need to do something about this. We need to change. And so take, you know, being arrested, sitting in jail for two years, being yourself and not coming back from that ledge and saying, I'm out and you can arrest me, but I'm still going to be here. And standing up for who you are and what you believe in, that work has, it, was st it really got a lot of fuel under it because of the way that um, the police were treating drag queens. So th fast forward today, we have prides, we march in solidarity with each other. Um, we are under the an umbrella together, LGBTQI. Uh, um, and so if you think about how much politics and drag has intersected, it's very much a part of our history as to where we are now today. And so it doesn't surprise me that these bills are targeting drag as well as trans individuals because that's how they've kind of been designed from the beginning. So it's even more of a reason for us to take a stand now and be aware, go out and vote. Thank you. Would you like to add anything to that, Tom? Um, just that, you know, drag artists have always been kind of the ones that are willing to be the forefront and we will take the hits for you and we will stand by your side. And since day one, you know, politics can change, time can change, but what won't change is that community. And that is something that we could always stand by, and, you know, waves come good bad the pendulum shifts you know right to left sometimes in the middle but what's going to create that energetic force for things to get a little bit better is people standing together and i think that the drag community has taken that responsibility it really is a responsibility yeah. once you're a drag artist because not only are you speaking for you but you're speaking for a whole entire community for a whole energy force if you really think about it 
Thank you, Cotton. Um, yeah, I mean, while we're on that topic, what are some challenges that you've experienced as a drag performer? If you want to go first, Cotton. Yeah, um, well, I actually suffered an injury in the middle of my drag career. I broke my ankle, I shattered my ankle, broke my tibia. Um, I now have two plates, 10 screws in my leg. And I went from performing every weekend, being a completely able person, being able to jump up, slide around, to not being able to move, having my mom have to shower for me. And it really humbled me and really made me think, you know, I always try to, you know, keep that in the back of my mind. But when you or your family member are actually living it, it's a whole different perspective. So uh, I would say that my biggest challenge is seeing how much the drag community still has to grow when it comes to ableism mm-hmm. um, and making sure that we do create that platform too to be like, hey, you know, I'm out here still still doing my thing and that means that you could do it too. And you can, I was out there, you know, performing in a scooter. I highly recommend anybody, if you can even just wiggle around just finding that joy mm-hmm. and to me you know it was it was a really big struggle to find that within myself but it was because of the community because of people putting on benefit shows because of everything that got me started that kept me going yeah. so um yeah that was the biggest trouble i've come across so far thank you thank you for continuing to show up cotton yeah You're amazing. the big thing is show up yeah <laughs> you. i think the challenges in drag is uh it's just really just the way you're interpreted by the world and what that means. You know, as a drag artist in San Francisco, I feel accepted. I don't have to explain what it means to be a drag king to every single person who meets me. You know, there's a lot of communities out there that they're like a drag king. Wait, what is that? I've never heard of that. Um, so you find yourself explaining and educating, which I don't mind doing. I can educate all day. I love doing that. Uh, but it's one thing when there's a negative intent behind it or a malicious intention. You know, I need to figure you out because it's going to serve my agenda or my, you know, what about me? You know, and I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, we're all here on this planet and I've walked in to some places where people are just so mad that I'm there. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, you have makeup on too. Like, are we are we going to go anti makeup now? Like, it's like, I'm just like, yeah. you're just putting uh, it in the wrong place, yeah. Todd. <laughs> they so might be too. Here. <laughs> it's, it's interesting to think about how you're received, and and um, and so one of the biggest challenges is really going into some of these. Uh, cl- I would say environments that have a lot of opportunity for growth. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that was very eloquent. And, uh, you know, and influencing as much as I can, as much as that community is ready to be influenced and just leaving it there and kind of coming back out and then returning later as there's been time to marinate over the influence that I'm trying to project. Uh, And then hopefully we get some change because people are like, no, they came. The drag kings were here. They were great. You need to go (laughs) see them. It's like spreading that word, getting the acceptance around. It takes time. It takes patience. But some of those performances are very dangerous for us. There was a recent performance. We were scheduled to go up in Humboldt County, and um, they canceled. The the community player that was going to host the event uh, canceled because of the amount of protests and threats they were getting. And so when the university adopted uh, to host the event, it was very nice. They had so much security. We expected the protest, um, and it was a successful event. Nobody got injured, but it it was a very interesting time for us. 
and one of our one of our most recent performances. Uh, this was a couple months back, I believe. Yeah, about two yeah. two months ago. We had to cancel our show because um, unfortunately an active shooter showed up and um, ended up killing an individual, and it was very um, it was an interesting situation to be in when you're in the front of violence like that. Um, as an artist, I've never had a gun pointed at me before, so that was a very interesting feeling. Um, but it's, it's the work that needs to be done. And so when we think about safety and inclusion and things like this, uh, I think one of our biggest challenges is how do we keep the scene safe? Yeah. Do you mind if I add to that story too? Oh, absolutely. So because we were having a drag brunch and there's a big billboard, um, it was at this casino, and um, people thought that we were targeted even though we weren't. So we are also in a world where we might not even be in direct danger, people's minds are already going there. Mm -hmm. The active shooting was because of drag. Yeah, it, it, yeah. When really it was because somebody got too intoxicated and they got an altercation, but uh, everybody thought, thought oh my gosh, it was because guy. a drag brunch was there. And so people are, even though we're not directly involved, we still, people really still thought it was because of us. Yeah. And trying to, you know, there was a picture in the paper with the billboard right there with the SWAT team everywhere. So it was like, Okay, I mean, publicity is publicity, but not like this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just knowing that people are always, you're always going to be on the, the forefront of people's minds when something violent happens and you happen to be there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the narrative gets created for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And then you have to fight that. So that's also a difficulty. It's finding a narrative all the time. That part, yeah. I was actually recently at a drag story hour where... Um, a lot of protesters showed up and they didn't all stay on the corner where we were informed they would be staying and I ended up holding a door closed with luckily six to seven other trans people so I felt very in community um, but there was a drag performer in there reading to children and families and yeah there is just a lot of violence there luckily it was not a gun but you know there was a lot of verbal um, attacks and kind of just like that emotional and just in our bodies how we carry trauma and violence and I want to use that a little bit to segue into how do you take care of yourselves during this like what does community care look like to you do you have um, support lines to kind of hold you when we're constantly bombarded with transphobia or you can't perform with children because you're you know you can fill in the words <laughs> Well, I have to say this guy right here. Um, I wouldn't be sitting here without him. When we say brothers, we really mean brothers. And I think that goes throughout the, um, the community. When you say my chosen sister, my chosen sibling, yeah. it really is you chose that person because you feel supported, because you feel their heartbeat within your chest as well. And um, I wouldn't be able to make it through without the support. Just having somebody that's on the same moral compass finding you know, people that are on the same moral compass and keeping up with each other. A lot of it is just talking through stuff because mm -hmm. you hold it in and it comes out you know, in physical ways. I'll get physically sick if I go through a bad time and I don't talk about it. And I think a lot of people do that too. So just having somebody to talk to. That might be family, that might be chosen family. It could even be your dog sometimes, but like just venting it out and speaking because it also kind of like reminds you what you're going through is real. Yeah. You're not just making it up, the good and the bad, mm -hmm. the fabulous and the not so fabulous. It's still real and it's still part of your human experience. 
And so just kind of, I like to kind of sulk in that and then be able to like talk out the toxicities and, mm. and try to relish in the positives. I love that. Would you like to share too, Todd? A couple of things. Um, <laughs> one, social responsibility. I, anytime you see someone successful, you know that that person did not get there by themselves. It takes a village. And so seeing me on stage, like right now, you know there's a team behind me. <laughs> there is. I wouldn't be here without the support of others. And social responsibility is one of the most important things we have on this planet. And it's been proven through science. You know, I think it's Tiffany Fields out of Stanford. I know someone here from Stanford. Um, that studied human connection and the failure to thrive. They studied primates and baby monkeys. They took the babies away from the, the mothers and then uh, they ended up passing away because of neglect, because they didn't have that interaction. Um, it's very innate into us as beings. There's something called the blue zones on this planet. It's, there's certain areas of the world where they have the most amount of individuals who are over the age of 100. And they study those populations as to why. Why are y'all living so long? What are you doing different? And one of the things they find is social responsibilities. Like in Okinawa, Japan, they cohort um, girls together as, as small children, and they grow up all together. They go to sports together. They go to all their schools together. You know, they engage in every activity together. And so even for the interview with the Blue Zones, you have the cohort of, of over 100-year-old ladies coming through and <laughs> saying, hey, wait, no, so-and-so's not here. We can't do the interview. We have to go check on her. And if the world was like that, I think we'd be in a much better state right now if we had more of that on this planet. Um, so social responsibility is a big deal in support of others. Another thing to do is just important to understand yourself and the way you process emotion. I think emotional intelligence is very imperative because your brain is, a, is computing and processing so much. You're exposed to so much trauma out there, vicarious trauma, um, grief. You know, think people connotate grief with you know death essentially. But there's, you're grieving over all sorts of stuff. You just moved into a new house. You just switched your career. You just broke up with a partner. You just adopted a new pet. You're changing something. So you, you're putting um, something behind you. And so you're actively grieving over the loss of a different version of you in a way. And, and it's important to understand grief and how you're processing because it's pretty textbook. You know, there's denial sadness, anger, bargaining, acceptance, and you're going to bounce between those. But when you're in it and you recognize that about yourself, you're better operating a, a, around the world because you're not so reactive. You're in control of your emotions and understanding those emotions. And when the being is threatened, um, is really important. If you don't process grief, you can end up with something like post-traumatic stress, stress disorder, PTSD, because your, your body's designed to process and catalog it as a memory. And when it doesn't do that, what's going to happen? It's going to loop. And when something triggers it, you get caught in that loop. And that's what happens with PTSD. So it's really important to break that loop cycle and catalog it as a memory. But it all comes down to brain processing. So it's very important to be in tune with your emotions, understand your reactions to others, and where you feel threatened. Because the minute your internal being is, feels threatened, it's going to throw up a defense mechanism. And there's a, you can, their textbook, you know, projection, confabulation, blame, uh, retaliation, uh, regression, uh, goes on, fantasization. I mean, it goes on and on and on with these. But you can see it immediately. Oh, well, it's, it's Cotton's fault. You know, so why do I feel threatened? Now I'm blaming something, mm -hmm. someone. So uh, understanding that about yourself 
really helps you navigate this world a lot better and being in control of that. And so I think that's one of the things that helps me get through these challenging experiences or when I'm interacting in drag and things is how, how am I processing this and making sure I'm taking the time to do so. And it's okay. Allow yourself that time. Thanks so much for joining us for this special episode. San Francisco Pride is a member organization. If you're listening and interested in becoming a member of Interpride, you can head to interpride.org. There, you can also listen to all past episodes of Interpod and also find more information about our upcoming World Conference. This is Interpod, the global voices of Pride podcast powered by Interpride, where the world comes together for the LGBTQIA community. 